Today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're dealing with people, serving in people's lives, and people are precious to God. Therefore, they must be precious to us. We must value them like God values them. And we're here to serve people. We're here to give to people. We're here to do for people. And each time a sinful situation enters into our fellowship, a gossip, a mistake, a wolf, Whatever, we must enter into it spiritually and cautiously. Why? Because souls are at stake, and Jesus Christ died to save souls. You wonder what that looks like? Jesus is teaching us right here. This is what it looks like. This is amazing grace. From time to time, we'll encounter someone who is in sin. Maybe they're living with their boyfriend or girlfriend or getting drunk on the weekends. But how we respond to them is critical. While some take more of a legalistic approach, Pastor Ed Taylor says a much better way to go is the one modeled by Christ in John chapter 8. It's bathed in compassion, patience, love, and sympathy. Join us there now for Abounding Grace. Jesus kind of hung this last little statement on the end of a teaching on circumcision of all things. And he says this in verse 24 of John chapter 7. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And if any of you were wondering, what does that look like? Chapter 8 is here for you. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. This is a woman in desperate need of a touch of grace and mercy and forgiveness and kindness. Remember the text says she was caught in the very act. So few of us have ever been caught in the very act of any type of sin, let alone such a personal sin. It's one thing to have sinned and repented and move on like many of the sins in our lives. But with your hands in the cookie jar, caught and set up on top of that, so painful. Please hear me on this, church. If you receive this truth, it'll revolutionize the way you serve, and it'll take you from glory to glory and strength to strength in being a grace-based ministry. that's That's our fellowship here. We are here by the grace of God, and we are here to extend the grace of God. And and there's even a phrase that's been picked up in the church world that I'm sure you've used before. We might see someone going through something, and what do we say? There but by the grace of go I. I'm going to teach it to you. Some of you, do you guys know it? There but by the grace of God go I. It's true. It's true in every sense of that phrase. And, And lest we point the finger at judgment at this gal, remember this. Our problem so often with others is we think we have them figured out. And we don't. We think we know all that we need to know, and we don't. We think, oh, you know, you'll hear things like, I know her. Yeah, I know her. I've heard about that. That doesn't surprise me. Or I know about him. Yeah, he did it to me too. And he's such and such, and he's so and so. Look at that guy. What a sinner. Look at her. Sin written all over her face. And if we don't know, If we do lack information, there may be like an investigation that's launched. 
so we can find out. Investigations usually involve slander and gossip and, and all kinds of nastiness. You know, the Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. I mean, God has a fresh word, and we don't know. We don't know everything there is to know about someone. And we need to pray for wisdom. On the one side with this woman, you have the spiritual policeman wanting to read her the law and see that they wanting to be and, and this is so such a frustrating thing to be a part of where someone just takes the role and has the opportunity to not only be the judge and the jury but then to give the sentence like they're standing in the place of God none of us are in the place of God none of us are how careful we need to be with people whose lives have been wrecked with sin the repentant And with the unrepentant, perhaps a little sternness of the word, but nevertheless careful and cautious and spiritual. So what does Jesus do? Verse 7. When they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus says he validates what Moses wrote in the law. You're right. So anybody here that has no sin, you go ahead and do it first. And you know, there was only one person on the planet Earth at that time that was able and qualified to pick that stone up. And he chose not to. Don't you wonder what Jesus wrote on the ground? I do. Do you know what Jesus wrote on the ground? We don't know. We don't know. It wasn't reserved for us. We have some hints of what he wrote. Whatever he wrote was probably directed toward the guys there. Whatever he wrote convicted them by what they heard, what they saw. It says uh, in verse 9, those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest to the, even to the last. Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst, which, by the way, is the great, greatest place for that gal to be, just her and Jesus alone. He's going to take good care of her, serve her well. But what did he write? We don't know. Did he write their names down from the oldest to the youngest? Did he write their names down and start writing all their secret sins down? All of their adultery in the heart, maybe? Maybe their actual adultery, their perversity, their twistedness? You know what that would look like today? That would look like today if Jesus was here and they threw this poor woman in front of him and demanded the law on him. And Jesus would say, hold on a second. Hey, uh, guys, can you roll the video first for us? And then one by one, there would be a picture of one of the guys and then all the things. You know, imagine what it would be like. It would be like, whoa, do you want? And what if we, hey, can you just roll the tape here? Can you roll the video? And that's your life. Oh, not the life that we see, you know, the well-showered, well-groomed. It's the one that when you wake up in the morning with the nasty breath and the hair all over and your life, you know, when you're on I-25, you know that one. You got all the tinted windows. You, you're so crazy in I-25, you, your, you tinted your front window, man. You don't want anybody to know how upset you get driving down the road. And I mean, just your life. Just follow with a camera. Your life. Maybe he wrote down their names, oldest to youngest, and, and wrote down things that would be very convicting to them. And the sad thing is, they got up and left. The sad thing is, they got up and left. That was their response to conviction. They got up and left. 
Because I believe they could have stayed with the woman and received the same grace and forgiveness that she's about to receive. But instead of their pride and their arrogance and their distance from God, their unwillingness to admit that they've sinned, their unwillingness to admit that they've wronged, their unwillingness to humble themselves, the Bible says that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And the humble one stuck around. This poor girl, what's she going to do? Caught in the very act. When Jesus, verse 10, raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I absolutely love Jesus here. So compassionate, patient, and sympathetic towards sinners. It's the same grace you received. Oh, you may not have been caught in such a, well, in such a sin that's painful and hurtful and exposed, maybe not. But the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is not being soft on this woman. He knows that in just a short time, he's going to hang on a Roman cross and take this very sin of adultery upon himself so that the forgiveness can flow from his blood that was shed for this woman and even for those that walked away. Why did she receive forgiveness and grace? Because she stuck around. She stuck around. We do know a little bit about her. If you want to turn over to Proverbs chapter 6, there's much we don't know, but we do know a little bit. We know what Jesus, we can get a little bit of what Jesus knew here. And whenever we're, we're, we're just overwhelmed with a lack of knowledge about a person or a situation, it's always wise to go back to prayer and go back to the word because God can answer things through his word. And so we do know a little bit about her. We do gain some insight on her life. Let me draw your attention, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 32. Verse 32. It says, Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. I believe this applies to both parties. Both parties in an adulterous, a sexual sin are lacking understanding. They are destroying their own lives. They are receiving wounds and dishonor and a reproach that will be on their lives. We know that she lacks understanding. She lacks a true connection and reality to God. When a believer commits sin, they reflect this distance from God. When an unbeliever commits sin, there's never been a link to God to begin with. And so it makes sense that Jesus would be in preparation, that he would say, everybody's going home, but I can't go home. I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You know, we we emphasize so much, don't we? Read your Bible every day. Pray every day. Not not in some heavy burden, well, I've got to read my Bible and pray. But your connection to the Father, you know, your devotional life is not just for you. It's for others. If you're not ready and you're not prepared, we often refer to that, if you're not prayed up, you may miss a very serious situation. You may miss the opportunity to bring Jesus into a situation. I don't know. What, do you know what's going to happen at the office tomorrow? I don't know. I have no idea, but I want to be ready. Do you know what's going to happen after service today? I don't know, but I want to be ready. You know, it's, life can change with a phone call, friends, with a text message, with an email, a knock on the door. Your whole life can be shattered and changed forever. 
We need to be ready. We don't know what a day's going to bring. Our devotion and our connection to God. What does God want me to do? What, is, what does he want me to say? What about this? I, I, my devotional life is, Lord, what traps are set for me? So many times I find out about the traps when my foot's caught in it. I want to know ahead of time. The Bible says that God would give us wisdom. We could see it before we ever get there and escape the trap. Escape the snare of the fowler, the Bible would say. Escape the traps. Flip over now to Galatians chapter 6 as we wind down today. Galatians chapter 6 gives us great insight on what to do when we're confronted with sin in a person's life. Because there's something in our flesh, something in our humanity, that when someone falls, we're kind of happy about it. It's almost like, well, you know, they deserved it. And I warned them. And I told them not to walk so close to the world. Or, and, and, and that's just, that's, that's, a legal, that's a legalistic mindset. Taking joy in other people's failures. I, I take no joy when people fall into sin. Because it represents not only damage to them, but damage to the people they're close to. I don't want to be happy. I want to help. According to verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are, what does your Bible say? Spiritual. You who are spiritual. Don't think of that as like spiritual, like, you know, there are hierarchies. There are super spiritual and really spiritual. This is just a person that has a walk with the Lord. They're prayed up. Their devotional life's strong. You're, 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 you're close. You're abiding. You're spiritual. What are you supposed to do? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. You're not to be carnal and fleshly. You're to be spiritual. And the spiritual person will always seek restoration when there's repentance. You know, when you've got a broken person, godly sorrow, your heart is just like, man, I don't, I don't want to tell you I told you so. I want to help you get back on your feet. Though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. Your life isn't destroyed forever. God can bring healing and forgiveness and help in this situation. I'm speaking to some of you right now. But if you're unrepentant, hey, listen, it's going to get worse. It's going to get harder. If you really don't have a sense, you know, God is going to send you a Nathan along and go, hey, wait a minute, you're not repentant. You know, you, you can only restore those that, people that want to be restored. You can only reconcile with those that want to be reconciled. And we're looking, we're open, either bringing someone to repentance or bringing someone to restoration. All the while, he says, consider yourself lest you also be tempted. If you'd like to write in your Bible, circle the word restore. It's the Greek word that literally means to set a broken bone. Makes sense, doesn't it? You want to go in very carefully and cautiously and spiritually because sin breaks a person. It shatters lives. It splinters relationships. And our heart is to jump in, fix, and set it straight. Jesus tells this woman, where are your accusers? They're gone. Why? Because of conviction. Maybe it was what Jesus wrote on the ground. Maybe it was how his countenance was. Maybe it was directly from the Holy Spirit. But they're gone. Their scheme failed miserably. And they leave the presence of Jesus worse than when they came. And I believe Jesus, sensing back in John the sincerity of this woman's heart, he forgives her. He imparts to her the strength and to do what is right. When he says in John 8, go and sin no more, it's not a statement of go go live a sinless life. I believe Jesus is being very specific here and say, leave the sin of adultery. 
Don't do it. Leave it. You, you are free from adultery. This never has to happen in your life anymore. Forsake it. And I believe on a broader scale, hey, stay away from sin as much as you can. You and I as believers, we're, we're not going to be sinless. But I'll tell you what, the more and more you and I grow in grace, we are going to sin less. For sure. It's a mark of every true believer that's growing in grace. And when he tells her, go and sin no more, he is releasing her from, he is releasing her from the bondage of sexual sin. And God can do that in your life too. Released and let go. Set free from truth himself. I am not condemning you, Jesus said. I'm not condemning you. They sought to accuse you. They sought to condemn you. I'm not condemning you. I am saving you. He's not being soft on sin. Jesus is going to take the sins of the world on himself. Not too long from now. Sin cost Jesus everything. It cost him everything. And if it cost him everything, should I not be willing to lay down anything recognizing his great and wonderful gift? You know, in my heart, in your heart, us together in the spirit of the law, I too am an adulterer and a murderer and a liar. I am too. I'm guilty. We're all guilty. We've all been unfaithful. So now how do you want to be treated? I want to be forgiven. I want the forgiveness of God in my life. I want the empowerment of God to forsake those things that have held me bondage and live free in the days that I have left to serve Jesus. I want to be free. And for the last 24 years, that has been, that has been the continual testimony of the power of God in my life. Like the church in Corinth, such were some of you. Such were some of you. You've been freed and cleansed. How do you want to be treated? I want to be forgiven. And he'll give it to us where there's real repentance. And I want to make sure my heart is right in everything as I approach his great throne room of grace, to come to it boldly. Paul says we have a choice. We can either be spiritual or carnal. We can either love people or use people. And I'm reminding the guys here, I'm reminding the staff here, I'm reminding the team here, I'm reminding the leaders of this church here, and now I get to remind you again all the time that we are ministering to people, serving people. We're here for his people. They're not tagged with a sin. They're not people with a sin. You know, sort of like Rahab. Rahab is known as Rahab the harlot. Not in heaven, friend. She is Rahab the saint, Rahab the sister. So is the woman at the well. So is this woman here. Saved, washed, cleansed. We're dealing with people here, not labels. We're dealing with people. Serving in people's lives. And people are precious to God. Therefore, they must be precious to us. We must value them like God values them. And we're here to serve people. We're here to give to people. We're here to do for people. And each time a sinful situation enters into our fellowship, a gossip, a mistake, a wolf, whatever, we must enter into it spiritually and cautiously. Why? Because souls are at stake. And Jesus Christ died to save souls. You wonder what that looks like? Jesus is teaching us right here. This is what it looks like. Consider yourself, Paul says. Consider yourself, the Spirit says. And how we need to keep the attitude of knowing that we could very easily do the same stupid thing. None of us are above dumb decisions. And God, he has strength and forgiveness for you today. So, do you want to be a policeman when it comes to ministry or a paramedic? 
Certainly I see attributes of both. I see the necessity of both. But we don't want to become a legalistic type of ministry, and nor will we. You might be here today, well, Ed, I'm just kind of looking for more of a legalistic church. Well, you're going to have to go find another church. We are a church that's based upon the grace of God. The Bible says that love hopes all things, and we hope for you. Even when you don't hope for yourself, in our prayers, we hope, we, in our prayers, we hope for you. I don't know, you, you, it's been a few months since the beginning of the year, but you know, many of you filled out those little slips uh, and you placed it on the cross that we had here, the all-in and things that were on your heart. Every Wednesday, we pray for those. Everybody gets one and we pray for the needs in our church and the needs that are on your heart. Even when you've lost hope, we are infusing hope into your life by praying for you and taking you to the throne room of grace. Every time you put a prayer request in one of the offering boxes, we pray and we send it out to a team that prays. Our heart is desperate for you to be right with the Lord. And and we're not interested when sin comes into the church, we're not interested in writing it down and spreading it all around. You know, I know what you did, and I know you're going to get caught, but rather we want to be a paramedic in that sense. We want to come and heal you and, and bandage you up. And our next time together, our next study together, we're, we're going to be looking at that very topic together. I, I don't want to just share with us today, this is what we need to be doing, but I want to show you how to do it. Uh, It's at the end of the book of James, if you want to read, about taking care of the strays. Or or one of the titles I'm thinking about titling is, What do you do when the prodigal comes home? You need to be ready for that. As you're praying for people, what happens when that one that was backsliding comes back home? What happens when there is a person that's thrust into your presence, broken and destroyed by her own sin? Jesus didn't need to tell her she was guilty. It was written all over her face. She knew. She knew she was guilty. And it's oftentimes the weight of that guilt and shame that God grabs your attention and brings you to his very presence where you will find hope and help in your time of need. Our church, our community, our neighborhood, our work, our school are filled with people who have needs. Let's do our best to serve them, empowered by the Holy Spirit, ready to bandage, ready to heal. Yes, there are times where the law needs to be used in such a way to bring a person to conviction and repentance. But whatever we need to do, whatever the Lord's leading us to do, let us do it carefully and prayerfully. Carefully and prayerfully. A good synopsis of the approach we're to have to the center. This is Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. To give this study in the Gospel of John a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. You know, it's one thing to get married and a whole other matter to stay that way. And today we'd like to recommend a book written by Steve Carr called Married and How to Stay That Way. It contains a wealth of practical solutions all based in the Bible. Written in a counseling style with practical encouragements from start to finish. It even includes discussion questions at the end of each chapter and a study guide. It's a great book to go through with your spouse or in a small group Bible study. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And thank you for remembering us in your prayers and your giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. 
You can also request this and other resources online at calvaryco.store. If you just like to make a donation and you're not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. Pastor Ed, for those that are wanting someone to pray for them, we have a dedicated text line for them. Can you give that out to our listeners? Yes, we opened this line during the pandemic uh, and just kept it open. We're, uh, it's one of those things, Larry, where we're like, why haven't we done this from the beginning? So we have a dedicated 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week text line. It's only for text, so please don't call it. Don't leave a message. We only use it for texting. Here's the number. You ready? 720-336-0897. You can text us your prayer anytime, day or night. And we will pray over it. We will pass it on to our prayer teams here at Calvary Church. And we will intercede on your behalf. 720-336-0897. The 24-7 prayer line, text prayer line here at Calvary. 720-336-0897. Send your prayer requests. Send them away so that we might pray for you. Again, that's 720 720- Three three six zero eight nine seven. Send us a prayer request today. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.